Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, January 8th edition of the podcast, and it's a trade breaking news edition of the podcast, Jake. Jamie Drysdale has been traded to the Philadelphia Flyers for Cutter Gauthier and a 2025, or sorry, Drysdale and a 2025 second round pick for Cutter Gauthier from the Flyers. Oh my gosh. It's a manic, it's a manic Monday. It's a manic Monday. This uh, this day took a turn that I was not expecting it to. This but I'm glad thing, it did. This came out of absolutely nowhere. Like, yep. I was walking to my car, just got off work, was going to my car to start driving home, and I just like open up my phone and look at Discord briefly right before I'm getting in the car, and I just see people saying Cutter Godier, and I'm like, what? Why? What? And then I see the the Ducks tweet in there, and then I just have to drive home. And luckily, shout out to our Discord. We have been starting to use our pub chat in there a little bit more, which is an uh, audio chat feature within yes. uh, within our Discord. Go to patreon.com slash crashpawn. There was a whole lot of working through this trade on my drive home of talking through with everyone. So it was it was fantastic to have that. Um, but wow. Just, just wow. Yeah, so much to unpack. But when the news broke, I was, as per usual, looking at our Discord, and I saw our good friend Nate in our chat just putting in all caps, holy crap, Jamie Drysdale trade. And I was like, okay, he's just pulling our leg. Haha, funny joke. But I was like, but what if it's true? So I download Twitter on my phone and I see the Ducks Twitter account saying Jamie Drysdale's been traded to the Philadelphia Flyers. And I I don't think I've yet recovered. I've I've been so bogged down in like trying to understand Cutter Goatee as a player, but holy crap, like that actually happened. Yeah, it it was certainly taken or took me back. Did the Ducks? So here's a question because I was not on Twitter in that moment. I was delayed on Discord and everything like that. Did the Ducks break the news? I think they did. I don't like, think any insiders broke it. Yeah, like this feels like there was no like hint of that of trading coming anything like that. It was just simply Anaheim Duck, the Ducks tweeted out we've traded uh we we've traded Jamie Drysdale in a second for Cutter Godier. Yeah. Yeah, so I I'm still a little bit in shock. I'm Real still quick, a little bit. Hmm? I want to just read this. This was up from Eric Duhacek, and I think that this yep. really summarizes. I think how big of a trade this is. Yep. Of uh, he put this so this is serious blockbuster stuff. The kind you don't see very often in the NHL. Two young players, both with a chance to be stars in the league, traded for each other. Um, and then he kind of adds on, but there were whispers in the GM community and things like that. But like that just goes to show like how big of a trade this actually is. Like this is not just two prospects being traded for one another. This is two former, uh, a sixth overall pick and a fifth overall pick being traded for one another in recent history. One that has significant NHL experience. One that just was fantastic on world juniors and is coming off a fantastic freshman season. Like this is a huge, huge deal. Yeah, it's a it it really can't be understated because Cutter Gauthier was the fifth overall pick in the 2022 draft. Jamie Drysdale, like you said, top six in 2020, and I'm trying to figure out which part of this we should address first. I think one thing to kind of just table set is that Cutter Gauthier had made it clear to the Flyers that he did not want to sign in Philadelphia, that he was not going to sign his his contract there, which we've seen from other players. The Ducks just had that happen to them this past summer with Henry Thrun. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of created this market for Cutter Gauthier. And it sounds like there were quite a few teams that were in on him that were trying to 
obtain his services, the Philadelphia Flyers prioritized getting a premium position back. And so whether it was going to be a center or a defenseman, and it would appear that the Ducks just came up with the, the offer that they liked best. And, you know, Jamie Drysdale is not a prospect per se anymore, but he is still very, very green in his NHL career. He hasn't played a ton of games. He just missed basically an entire season. And so the Flyers get a guy who is NHL ready, is playing in an NHL lineup right now, but his still has a lot of upside. And then, you know, a, a second round pick to, to go along with that. So on the flip side, the Ducks get a top five pick from, you know, a draft to go essentially with clearly a ton of upside as well. So it, I feel like just before getting into the nitty gritty, it feels like a pretty even trade for, for both sides. Yeah. Like this, this feels like the ultimate win-win. Like, yep. It's very rare to, I think, look at a, a trade of, I mean, Bob Murray, for for whatever reason, always felt like he had to win the trade. That was, I think, something of his mentality, of something he always went for, where as this doesn't feel like that. This feels like, while Pat Verbeek probably used some of the leverage there, this is a win-win. And Pat Verbeek even said it. He had his interview on The Beaker. It was on Duckstream. It's now on all yeah. podcast services. It's up go very listen. fast. Yeah, go listen to it. Um, but he had mentioned you have to, you have to give to get, and and that's just how it works. And that's what you have to do to make these types of trades. And this is a hockey trade. This is not uh, a selling deal. This is not a uh, trading for future assets. This is a a hockey deal. And well, so I hesitate to call it that because of the fact that the flyers had to trade Gautier basically like, like, like it or not whenever it was going to be. So there is a little bit of that outside influence, but yes, like, this is as close to a hockey trade as you're going to get in the NHL these days. Yep. J- yep. Just basically talent for talent. And so I just want to start a little bit here on just the, the Jamie Drysdale side of this, the duck side yep. of this, that yep. I feel, I do feel a little bummed out just oh, yeah. because, because of how everything, you know, ended up with Jamie Drysdale. The fact that there was the whole controversy to start the season with the contract, the, the fact that he didn't play basically all of last year, it felt like he was starting to hit his stride a little bit with the ducks and it's just a, it's a bummer, you know, during that pandemic season, you know, I thought that yes, he wasn't a perfect player, but he brought some excitement to the fan base, him and Trevor Zegras. They kind of entertained us through a weird time. And it's a bummer that he never really fully got off the ground in the NH or or I should say with the ducks that he never really got to fully hit his stride. But at the end of the day, it sucks to say, but this is, this is this is the it's a business quote fully fully played out here. Yeah, and I and I think with Drysdale another thing probably playing a part for both you and I is that uh, the first draft we would have covered what would have been the 2018 draft on this podcast. Yes, and and so I think Drysdale is really the first higher end pay, player that has been picked by the team that has now been traded away. You and I both covered that draft on this podcast. You and I yep. covered his, his his <laughs> debut in the NHL and the fact that he debuted right after that draft, like debut in the AHL too. I think (laughs) like we, we have, we have watched his career commented done podcasts about his career ever since he was 18 years old and have seen him grow up and seen him get injured. We're excited for him last season. We're excited to see what he could do this year. And so I think it's just, it, it's natural that you're going to be bummed out because you build this attachment as you're walking, watching this player. And even if we try to be, um, as objective as we can be, there are going to be those emotions that build up as you watch this player and see what they, they become and see them. I mean, you see all these interviews with them off the ice, right? And, and seems see like the a type, good kid, seem like know? a really good kid. Seem like a, I mean, obviously him and him and Zegers seems like, seem like best friends. 
And so I, I think from that level on the personal level, it, it's for sure a bummer. Um, yep. and, and that can't be ignored here. And I think anyone out there that is bummed about this as we're kind of, kind of getting to the other side of it, that's exciting. I think it's okay to feel that way. Like that is yep. natural here. You have players that you like, you build attachments and it's going to be sad when they leave. And I think be also being excited about what the future can hold as a result of this is natural and neither emotion really kind of go against one another. They both can happen at the same time. Yeah. And I think what, what's even more kind of, you know, sad or frustrating about Jamie Drysdale leaving is just that it really felt like he was a part of the solution that he was going to be part of this next wave of ducks that would eventually see a playoff game again. And you know, yeah, just, just the, just the fact that that's never going to happen now, at least, you know, with him in tow, I'm sure that for him, that kind of sucks because you build up this whole investment personally of, Hey, I'm part of this rebuild. I'm a key piece. I, these are my guys. These are the guys I'm going to go to war with eventually in the playoffs. And now like that, that, that is tough. That is very yeah. tough for a player. Yep. But on the flip side of that, we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast, right? That the Ducks yep. blue line is what? Eight, nine players deep. There's so many prospects within this pool that are going to be NHLers, not just potential NHLers that will be NHLers. And you only have six spots. And so I think if you would have asked me before the season, if Drysdale was, was the first guy out of that group to get moved, I would not have necessarily predicted that. But in hindsight, like it makes sense. He's the person with the most NHL experience, probably has the most trade value from that perspective with what he's brought in the NHL. Well, there's probably, sort of. there, there's probably two players in the prospect pool from the defense perspective that has more trade value than him. And Pavel Minchikov and maybe Olin Zellweger. And, so I think it makes sense that Drysdale was moved. And I think especially Beeks had some quotes that the way Tristan Leno played so far this season, the way he's practiced everything along those lines made Drysdale more expendable. I mean, and he, so, he, he said he straight up said, yeah, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, he's not and hiding so, it. And so this is, I, I think for anyone out there wondering, this is, I don't think the Ducks organization saying that they're out on Drysdale. I think this was a, you have so many blue liners that you need to deal some to address your weakness. And the Ducks weakness we've talked about is having a scoring I mean, winger. We're seeing it on a night to night basis. And so, yeah. yeah, this is a good time to to turn the page. And I'm glad you brought up the surplus because that's what's driving all of this. And we've talked about it on this podcast repeatedly that the Ducks have a surplus of young defensemen and a glaring need for forward depth for help, goal scoring help up front within the system on the NHL team. That's a that's a hole that they have yet to fill. And at some point, a trade like this was going to happen, whether it is Jamie Drysdale, whether it's Olin Zellweger, like who knows, but they were you're just going to have to trade someone because you don't have enough spots to fill everyone into the lineup. And so this was this was just an inevitable thing that was going to happen. The fact that it happened in this way, though, kind of with the timing and Jamie just you know, kind of getting his sea legs back underneath them. Yeah. That sucks. But this was always going to happen. I didn't think it would have been a Jamie Drysdale. I would have thought it might have been someone still a little further away. I mean, this does harm the Ducks' current roster. Um, you know, for, for right now, they are now down, a, you know, a solid NHL defenseman. But Cutter Gauthier is, I mean, this is, this is potentially the piece that can really unlock the Ducks up front. Yeah, I mean, he, I guess let, let's, it's about time to kind of jump onto that side of yep. it. Um, we turn the page. We, yeah, th we, th I, well, we thank we thank Jamie Drysdale and we we welcome Cutter Gauthier. Yes, and so on the excitement for Cutter Gauthier is he brings something that the Ducks don't really have within their prospect system, which is a pure shooter. Yep, like that that is what he is. That is who he is. He is. I mean, if you read any of kind of the reports around him, 
he is someone that is going to get into positions to be a good complementary piece. He is not necessarily going to be the main play driver on any line, but he is someone that is going to be able to be a very nice piece to go along with one of your top-end, high-end playmakers. And, and that is what the Ducks have in spades. They have that in Leo Carlson. They have that in Trevor Zegers. They do not have someone that can find the soft areas on the ice and can shoot the puck as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing that pops off the, not the page, but the, the screen when you're watching Cutter Gauthier is that he loves to shoot the puck. He is a volume shooter, sometimes maybe even to his own detriment, you know, yep. almost the, almost the we'll call it Vetrano-itis, but he shoots the puck a lot. That being said, he has a very good shot. I mean, it's a hard shot. It's an accurate shot. He's got that kind of, you know, pulling in, change of direction, release. He's also got a good one-timer. He can shoot on the move. He can shoot from a standstill position. He can shoot in tight spaces. And so that's kind of the headline grabber with with Cutter Gauthier. And you look at, like you said, Leo Carlson, even Mason McTavish, Trevor Zegers. These are great playmakers, but they don't have anyone to really feed the puck to right now. And so just right off the hop, you know, Cutter Gauthier really addresses that particular need. But I think peeling the onion back further, Cutter Gauthier, it has an ability to make plays. I think he's a clever passer or can be. hes I don't think he's an amazing skater. I mean, Pavar B called him an elite skater or like he has elite speed. I don't necessarily know if I see that, but he's a good enough skater. And then I think that what excites me also is that hes he's got really good hands and tight. He can make, you know, those kind of small area plays that are going to help just kind of keep the keep the chains moving when he's out there with these playmakers. Can I'm going to read a couple things. Uh, as everyone listening to this knows, we're big EP Rinkside fans here. They are fantastic. Mitch Brown has been on this show multiple times. And yep. I think sometimes it's just worth it to read what he puts out there because yep. the work that Mitch does, the amount that he watches uh, of these players is crazy. Crazy. And so I think his his opinion on these players is huge. And so prior to the season, EP Rinkside did their, their prospect pool rankings. And the Flyers, I think, ended up fourth with Cutter Gauthier being uh, second in their group. And this is what Mitch had to say about him going into the season. He said, this season went about as well as anyone could have expected for Cutter Gauthier. He led the Boston led Boston College in scoring, started the World Juniors, and piled up seven goals at the World Championships. And he looked even more skilled than before. Not bad. Gauthier is uh, the type of player who carves out a role alongside any combination of line mates in any structure. That adaptability is a big deal, especially when reinforced with a high skill level. A powerful lightning quick release wrister earns Gaudier his goals. He fires off the pass and under pressure. Perfectly timed off puck movements ensures he's always an option for teammates and inside driven mentally or mentality and handling skill uh, combined to turn decent chances into great one. Also a playmaker, Godier creates offense through exciting passes and more subtle details. Moving screens, picks, stick lifts, and hard inside drives open up open shooting lanes for his teammates. Where many dump the puck, he finds a passing option or cuts back. While Godier doesn't have the high-end play-driving skills, think manipulating opponents to create lanes, his dedication to the details, off-puck reads, and skill level should make him one of the uh, NHL's best complementary forces. That's not a bad thing. He can play a top-six role and make everyone around him better. Expect a big season from Godier in the NCAA, after which he should be ready to jump to the NHL. Don't surprise if he ends up play and uh, if he ups his playmaking and play-driving ability this year either. Yeah, so I think that I agree with most of that. I think that he he is definitely a complimentary piece. Like I think the fact that he was drafted fifth overall kind of makes it seem like he is going to be a star, you know, play driver carrying his own line. And I don't think that anyone who watches him closely really 
thinks that like he is he's like the ultimate complimentary player because he he can make the right pass he can be open and we've talked about how hard it is to actually get open for shots and to create space for yourself he can get those shots off you know he's he's solid defensively he's killed penalties in the past um it's interesting because the Ducks have, you know, really referred to him as a as a winger. I mean, he played sent he's playing center for Boston College right now. He's playing center. He played center for Team USA at the World Juniors. I don't really see a center. I mean, I think he can play center just because he's mobile enough, he's smart enough, but I think that he's going to be best utilized as a wing. And I mean, you know, he played a lot with Logan Cooley, I think in his draft year and remember him before after his draft year and he you know, you, you compare like a Logan Cooley to Trevor Zegras, and I don't think Zegras is the same kind of shiftiness with his feet as Logan Cooley, but same kind of just elite playmaker. And so I'd be very curious to see uh, Cutter Gauthier on, on Zegras's wing. Yeah. And I know there are some people or maybe even just Zegras doubters that would say, well, no, Zegras is the one on the wing. But I think Cutter Gauthier is kind of the exact player you need to comfortably put Zegras back at center for good. I mean, hell, or you could do Zegris, Carlson, and Godier. Like, you you could put that line together and go with that. Like, they're they're just. I I think adding someone of his talent level just adds a whole lot of options in the mm-hmm. future for this team. And it's exactly kind of what we've talked about with this team overall is that they need kind of that an additional piece here. They need an yep. additional piece for their top six from a forward perspective long term. This is not even just from this season. This is a long term outlook for this team. And we've talked about targeting a, and this is, I guess, now kind of transitioning a little bit, unless you want to talk about him overall a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing to point out is that he, you know, he's right now on the power play, he's on the right flank as a left-handed shooter, and he is kind of that one-timer threat. And I kind of am curious to see once he gets to Anaheim, you know, where he's going to, if he's going to play on the power play and where they're going to slot him in. But long-term, that could be kind of the fix for the Ducks power play because now you finally have like a true shot threat that you can just anchor to that side and then you can let your playmakers kind of rotate around him. And he's also very good at finding those soft areas of the ice. So there's just a lot of like my opinion about Gautier is I try to balance it with that. When you watch him play, I don't necessarily see like a star level player, but I think that he can play at that level within the context of the Ducks system within the context of who he's going to be playing with. I mean, so that's that's why I just really like the trade because I feel like the Ducks really both correctly evaluated Gautier and correctly evaluated kind of what their current roster, those top six forwards need and what will elevate them. So it's it's just a nice overall job by the whoever kind of was behind evaluating all this. Do you think that Gautier could be... Um could almost be like a parry to a Getzloff, I guess, to make a comparison for Ducks fans here. Sure. Uh, yeah. Corey Perry, I, I guess, is a player that you never looked at right and thought he had the highest skill ever. But he just found ways to score goals, right? That that was kind of what it was. Got mm-hmm. to the, the areas of the ice what, and ended up being one of the premier goal scorers in the league for a good few th- years there. And part of that was also playing with Brian Getzloff. I think, from what you're telling me, I'm not going to throw this kind of full comparison on him. But that is... In some ways, I think what you're saying about Cutter Godier is that he's like he's like the ultimate Robin to a Batman. Yes, yeah. Which the Ducks have plenty of Batman on this roster. Yes, yes. Like that that is what they have. Like Mason McTavish is that. Trevor Zegers is that. Leo Carlson is that. Like that is what they have in Spades, and this is what the Ducks had not had up until this point. They maybe had that in. I mean, you maybe would have hoped that a Jacob Perot could have become that, but 
it, it he just wasn't panning out to be that yet. Uh, Bonnie just texted me real quick that she thinks the pronunciation from World Juniors that it's Goche. It's not that. That's an incorrect okay. Go- pronunciation. Goche? Goche? How many times? I told you before, it's Gautier. Go- no, but the, what she texted me had a CH, not a T. So well, we'll find CH out. is not even how his Goche. own name is spelled. There's no yeah. C in his name. Okay. So Well, I'm screwing it up. I know I'm screwing it up for the, everyone out there. The thing is, is that like his, like I've seen different broadcasts pronounce it in different ways. So it could be that one has said it differently. Like Gautier, it, yeah. It could, it could be. It could okay. be. So but, we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll eventually figure it out. It's fine. It's not a, it's not a huge deal. Um, um, but yeah, getting, getting back to the trade though, overall is that this is exactly what the ducks needed. Right. Yes. And, and I, and I think you're spot on there that while he maybe was a reach at fifth overall, and maybe there are things where he's not going to be this super, super high end playmaker or anything like that, but he is exactly what the Ducks team has needed and Jamie Drysdale was surplus to requirements at this point in time. And so it's dealing from a position of uh, strength on your blue line and acquiring someone in, uh, in a massive, massive position of weakness. Uh, Connor in our chat is pushing back on be- him potentially being I a mean, reach. I don't think he was a pure reach, but I also don't think that he was... I think he was drafted to be like a number one type center. I mean, that's just my opinion, but that was kind of the rap on him going to the draft. Oh, he's big. He can shoot. You know, he can play in all three zones and I just don't think that that's I don't think that that's what he's going to be and he that's not what he's going to be in the NHL at this point so I think it was a little bit of a I, I think he was one of those kind of late draft guys who had saw their stock rise I don't know if that necessarily was his true on true talent but I mean in that particular draft you go back to 2022 like there's there's not many guys that you are like clear they should have taken him over Gautier at five so it's not yeah, and it, it, it wasn't like a bad pick or anything and, like that. Yeah, and then uh, getting back to assessing the trade overall is that we talked about a bunch that they needed to find a player, and it was constantly finding someone that fit the contending window. And Alex DeBrinket was a player we mentioned, but he was on the more older end of that, but someone in that range of, of a 21, 22-year-old, somewhere in there. It, but they're very hard to find. It's very, very hard to find a team yep. that is willing to give up this type of player. And it took Godier. Uh, essentially telling the flyers that I'm not going to play there for someone of that caliber to be available for, for teams to be able to try and get him. And Pat Verbeek waited and waited and waited and acquired all of these assets, built up all these assets. And then we're able to use those assets that he's built over the time, whether it was by getting all those picks, the second rounders that he did from trading those guys and taking defensemen that made, uh, and those defensemen made Drysdale surplus to requirements where you could then use Drysdale to get, that forward when they became available. And so he waited, maybe wasn't fun all this waiting, but waited and pounced when the time became available. And that was, I think, what was, I think it was the bonus episode that we did for the Patreon where it was about New Year's resolutions for this Ducks team. Mm-hmm. And one of the resolutions I think both of us had was the Ducks pouncing on a trade when it became available for a forward that was in the younger range that fit the contending window. And while Gauthier isn't going to be on the Ducks right away this season. He will be on them. the team. Pat Verbeek confirmed that he is expecting him to join the team at the end of the season whenever Boston College's season is done. And so this is this is a move not necessarily for this season, but it is one for next season, I think, for sure. And this is a, the exact type of deal that this Ducks team should be making 
And it is a risk. It is definitely a risk to to make a deal like this because Drysdale could go and flourish in, in Philadelphia. And quite frankly, I hope he does for him. Yeah, I think Drysdale same. deserves that. Um, I really hope he does really like, well. There. I, I hope yeah. this is a deal that we look back in five years and say, yeah, th- this deal Win-win. makes sense for both teams. And I mean, it does. It does right now. Like it, it makes total sense for both teams. One, yeah. Yeah. And, and and so, kind of where I'm getting at with this is that this is the type of swing and and the gutsy move that this Ducks team needed. And quite frankly, I can't remember the last time the Ducks made a gutsy move like this. Well, so here's what I will say about Jamie Drysdale is yeah. that I think that Jamie Drysdale still has a lot of NHL potential to be potentially a top pairing defenseman, you know, in the right system. He has the tools. He has the mobility. I think that you saw glimpses in his return of, you know, some offensive instincts that weren't quite there before, but the fully actualized, fully realized version of, of Jamie Drysdale at his best, at his very best is still redundant on this ducks roster. They just have so many defensemen that have equal, if not more potential. And so as much as it hurts to trade a guy who you thought would be your core, who will be part of your core, you know, the best version or even really the middle version of Cutter Gauthier is a better fit and a better, will we'll do more. will elevate this Ducks roster more than Jamie Drysdale could have. And it hurts to say that because again, we feel for just, him having to kind of move on this on this weird timing that what he's so, been through the last year. I mean, but he's I, loved in the locker room by all accounts, so that's he, for sure going to hurt. We feel for him in all those ways, yeah. but at the end of the day, and it's the hardest part of being a GM, is making these calls that are maybe unpopular in the room, but this is the right call for the franchise. And like you said, it's a it's exactly what we've been saying for the however many podcasts, right? It's that the Ducks have all this dry powder. They have all these excess defensemen. And at some point, something will come up where you use that, you leverage that to address the, your needs. And that is exactly what the Ducks did here. I think that they are automatically, you know, in a better position for it. Cutter Gauthier does need to come in and prove Pat Verbeek right. But I think he will. I mean, watching him play, like it's very, very, very easy to envision him just you know, middle of the road outcome that he comes in and is a good fit and is an upgrade in the top six. So I give this grade, I give this trade a good grade because I think that it really is exactly what they needed to do. And I'm not the biggest cutter Gautier, uh, you know, drum banger, but I think that he's exactly what they, what they needed. Yeah. I mean, this is probably the biggest ducks trade since what Henrik Vatanen. Oh yeah. Easily. And I mean, and I think this is is a more impactful trade than that one. I think that that was a big trade, but not a blockbuster. Well, because Sammy think, Vanden wasn't really a core piece at that point. Well, and they were also just both kind of older. Yeah. They were both like in their prime, 26, 27. This is trading guys that will be with the franchise for another six to seven years. Like, yep. that is how much longer these guys will be with this te- with each of their teams. This is a long time. Yeah, the I Ryan mean, Kessler since, trade is Ryan a good Kess- shout. In Ryan Kessler trade, but... I mean that one's even a little bit difficult to compare to this because that was trading few that wasn't a hockey trade necessarily. But it's just about the impact yeah, on the franchise. Agree. Agree. This is, this is a huge trade from that perspective. Yep. 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 I, I would agree with that. What do you make of the second round pick going to Philly? Because we haven't necessarily talked about that. That the Ducks added had to add a second round pick to this deal to get Gautier uh from the Flyers. I mean, I think there's a couple things at play there. One mm-hmm. is I think that 
Gauthier is a high-valued asset. Like, he's a center prospect, even though everyone is talking about him as a wing. He's a center prospect because he's playing center. He's big. He's physical. He's skilled. He was recently drafted. Like, that is a high, high-value asset. And so, were the Ducks in a bidding war with another team, and this is what put them over the top? Maybe, maybe not. But Gauthier is the most valuable piece in this trade. Uh, if you put all the, the pieces on a table, Gauthier is the one that has the most value. So, you... I don't think Drysdale alone gets you Cutter Gauthier. You have to add something. And, you know, second round pick in 2025, it's just, it's fine. It's whatever. Like, that that, well, that, yeah. that pick is not a big deal for the Ducks to lose. No, I mean, granted, the Ducks don't have, uh, in 2025, they now currently don't have a, a second round pick. But, like, they're about to go through this deadline, and I guarantee you they're going to probably get a second round pick now in 2025 in a trade. Like, yeah. they're going to recoup an asset, whether it's for... Adam Henrique, what if they'll probably get a second round pick in whatever trade Adam Henrique is in. They'll probably, I mean, if they trade Frank for Toronto, they'll probably get a second round pick in 2025 there. Um, they could end up potentially trading the Boston pick for a second round pick next season. Like, Just hit me 2025 is next year. That's depressing. Yeah. Like the Ducks this upcoming draft have uh, their first, they have two seconds and they have three thirds. So like there's easily a way for them to maneuver and make a trade if they wanted to get maybe trade it's not a, sec- a it's a just not a big third. deal no like there's a way to recoup that asset easily yeah. it's just like, not a big deal yeah so uh yeah and, and so i i completely agree with that i think that the second round pick is just kind of what you had to do gotier yeah. had more give more out va- more value for, uh more value than drysdale and so you had to give up that second round pick so um absolutely love the trade though from the duck side of it i think it's okay to be bummed but I think it's okay to be ecstatic at the fact that Pat Verbeek is uh, looking and thinking about this team in the correct way and understands the assets that he has and what he has to do to improve this team long-term. And it is not, it, it's easy to look at this team and just make a, a a reactionary trade, reactionary whatever. And this was not that. This was a long-term play. And if you actually listen and now maybe this is a bit of a transition point. If you listen to his full interview on the beaker, he even mentions that he is not too like mad with how, how the team has played so far. Mm. He's frustrated that they've lost some of these one goal games. And if you look, if they win just some of those, the record's a whole lot different, but overall he's pretty happy with the way that they've played and the system that's being implemented. There are things that obviously I need don't to know. improve. I don't know if I consider all of that truthful, but that's okay. I don't well, know how you can look at how they're playing right now and be happy, but that's okay. It's That's just, okay. it's just funny because Brian Hayward was actually pushing back on it a bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, are we are we watching the same game? Uh, right. But I no. But this was like overall throughout this first half of the season. Sure. If you if you like just ignore the last month, then yeah, I I think that that's. I fine. think this was a global look of the team over the past over the the whole first half. The, of the, er- season. the arrow is pointing up. I think that that's that's fair yes. globally, but yeah, recently not so much. Um, I think that some some of the kind of fallout from this though is that the Ducks are now down a defenseman. They're down a right shot defenseman. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's pretty likely. I mean Jackson Lacombe was already recalled. Um, so for those that, that missed it prior to last night's game um, against the Red Wings, uh, Alex Daylock had to be recalled because of John Gibson being sick, and so there had to be a paper transaction to be able to make that work. So Jackson Lacombe was sent back down to the goals. Um, and then today was called back up and um, Alex Daylock was sent back down. So Jackson Lacombe was called up. I guarantee you that he is going to slot back into the lineup and probably Robert Hag gets called up to be the seventh defenseman. Yeah, I, I don't think the Ducks are calling up 
a young defenseman if they're not going to get minutes because it would no. naturally be Drew Hellison as a right shot D. Correct. And so, unless he's going to play, I don't really see him coming up. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Yep. Like they, they they may do something we don't expect. We sure sure as hell didn't expect this trade. But back backtracking slightly. Mm-hmm. Sorry about the trade. Yep. If I you had to give it a letter grade, what would you give it from the Ducks' perspective? Ooh. So. What methodology do I employ here? Because if I grade it on just the intent and the just kind of the, the thought process, I think it's an A. If I judge it entirely on like how I feel about Cutter Gautier, maybe it goes down to like an A minus. But I think it is in that A range. Like it's to me it's like an A minus. Maybe you can go as low as B plus because I'm still I want to see how it plays out with Cutter Gautier before going too crazy, but I think a minus is probably where I would land just because I really love the thought process behind it. Yeah. I, I would probably say a to a minus something in that range. Yeah. I, I think just the methodology behind it, I think identifying what this duck team needs in the future. I, I think everything with that and dealing from a position of weakness to, or a position of strength to address a position of weakness. The methodology is great. Yeah. It, it's fantastic. It's, I mean, it's what we've talked about with Pavrobeek, right? You can nitpick the little things here and there. You can nitpick various Alex different Kalorn. things that he's done. Alex Kalorn, Ryan Strom, uh, I mean, last season, Nathan Boyu. There, there's a whole lot of things that you can nitpick, but I think overall the global picture that he keeps building feels like the ship is all going in the right direction. And that is exactly kind of how this feels. Um, so, it, I, I mean, there, there is also kind of a, I mean, there is a little bit of a, hey, you know, this season has not gone according to, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how much of this decision is really about this season. But if the Ducks were in the thick of the playoff hunt and were really, you know, or were in the playoffs right now, I wonder if this deal gets made because he, he did reference how, like, that's something that they've really seen in the last few weeks is this need for goal scoring. Although there are reports that they also were trying to get this done last summer. So who knows? But it is a clear indication that this season, they're not like punting on this season, but there is there's a little bit of a message being sent there that like, hey, a useful player to this team is now gone for a player for nothing in the short term. That's going to hurt their ability to there. That's going to hurt their ability to succeed in, in the next, you know, 40 games or whatever. Yep. And one of the other talking points that should be brought up because it's just being mentioned all over the place is the whole narrative around cutter Gautier and the fact that he had told the flyers, he wasn't going to play there. Well, well, so one thing to address before that, cause that's okay. like the least important thing is yep. that I, I think that cutter Gautier he will sign with the Ducks. Like, yes. if you're if you're the Ducks, you don't trade Jamie Drysdale, a key yep. piece of your future core, for a maybe. You don't you don't trade him for a guy who I, who might sign with you. I guarantee you. Typically, the way that this works is, I believe that the play the the Flyers would have allowed the Ducks to speak to his not they can't his family agents, advisor his family advisor yeah. to to understand if he would sign there. Um, and, and so I, I think that he's for sure going to sign with this I, team. I guarantee you there's a contract with his name on it in a drawer somewhere in, yep. in Honda center. Yep. So, but the, the whole narrative around it and everything like that, the, the concerted effort by the flyers organization is frustrating, annoying, everything like that. Like this is a kid that is taking control of his life, deciding, Hey, maybe I don't want to play here. He like college kids are some of the few that actually get to control where they play if they want to and have a say in that because he can play out all four years and then just leave if he wanted to by coming out, going out of his way to tell the organization he's not going to play there 
And instead of drawing it out, he's actually giving them the opportunity to get a good player back. Yeah, it's not like, like it's not like he jerked them around and like, you know, wasted their time. Like it seems like his intentions and, were pretty clear from the start. And it's not even like he went public with it that would have hurt it and so it would have hurt his trade value where the Flyers could get nothing back. Like yeah. the the whole response by the Flyers organization, the Flyers fans, everything like that really makes it seem like Jamie Drysdale is like a consolation prize in, in some ways. And that's just not necessarily what well, he is. Well, I mean, to be fair, like they drafted this guy fifth overall, like yeah. they pinned a lot of hopes on him. It is a very frustrating situation to find yourself where they are, but at the but by the same token, I mean, I don't want to get too much into it, but yep. I'll, I'll, like one thing we have to we have to keep in mind is that if if every player had the same ability, had the same agency that NCAA players do. So if junior players could do this, they would. Like, like the it, it's not because college players have some weird character flaw. It's just because they have they have more of an ability to do this than other players do. Yeah. Right. So I just I don't like the smearing this guy publicly I mean, the, the the way that they are. But I don't think that they're necessarily saying anything that bad. It's it's more of the dumb flyer fans you know, the CEO, him the, in the, C- comments. the CEO had some, some rough statements. Well, he just said, if you don't want to be a flyer, you know, you don't have to be here. Like that's okay. Like it sounds a little dumb and it is dumb, but also like, that's not like a personal attack. That's not saying anything about him necessarily. They're just using it as a way to like drum up their own culture or whatever, which their culture is dumb. I'm, I hate Philly sports, but it is what it is. Yep. Yep. Uh, there was one other point that I wanted to bring up, but I cannot actually remember right now. When it comes to me, I'll bring it up. But uh, anything else that you want to talk about with this trade? Yeah, well, I mean, the big the big kind of fallout, too, or the, the big wrinkle to all of this is that clearly, and Paverbeek has even said this, so this isn't even us guessing, but that this team really believes in Tristan Luneau. Like, Tristan yeah. Luneau came in and, and showed them something. I don't think I necessarily saw it, but they saw enough in him to really make them comfortable trading Jamie Drysdale. That's basically what Pat Verbeek said. And they might, they have enough belief within the system that they can replace what uh, Jamie Drysdale was bringing on the right side. So it's a big vote of confidence for Tristan Luneau. But even if Tristan Luneau doesn't hit, you still have plenty of pieces. You can still make this all work. So it's a very calculated risk by the Ducks. Yep, yep. 100% it's a calculated risk, but... Um... One that hopefully will pay off. Yeah. And I mean, I think that one place that my mind kind of went to okay. when this trade went down is just, you know, how does this affect Trevor Zegers? Because Trevor, yeah. Z- because Trevor Zegers. There we go. What, that was the spot that I was going to go with it. He was drafted the year before Jamie Drysdale. They formed kind of a tight bond, the two of them. They were both kind of in the trenches with this contract negotiation over the summer. And it clearly shows that Pavar Beek does not care if you're a homegrown talent. Like if there's a move to be made that will improve the the current core, he's going to do it. And we all know how contentious it got between Zegers and Verbeek. It got contentious between Drysdale and Verbeek as well. And so now I kind of just wonder, I'm not saying J- Trevor Zegers is going to get traded, but clearly like if Pavar Beek saw a deal to be made, he would do it. Yeah, I don't know if he would necessarily do that with Zegers. I, I think the thing to bring up with Zegers is that I think he's a different caliber of player than well, a Jamie I, I Drysdale. The, the other thing, I mean, the, the the bigger point is that the Ducks did this to address a need. They yes. they did they did this to address and, and, and bring in something they didn't have. Trevor Zegers is one of the few parts of, of what they correct. And, had up front. And I want to bring up this point. of There's certainly going to be people out there that bring up, and it's a logical point to make, that 
the Ducks had contentious negotiations with both Zegers and Drysdale and went into camp. And it went way later than either party would have really wanted it to go to. And so mm-hmm. I guess there, there's a very easy natural inclination to wonder, well, was the relationship soured? And did that lead to this trade? And from what it sounds like, from what Paverbeek said, it it seems like that couldn't necessarily be farther from the truth. Farther from the truth. And it just really sounds like the Flyers really wanted Jamie Drysdale as part of this. That when you listen to Daniel Briere talk about this, he was really excited to get uh, Jamie Drysdale out of this trade. That was the piece that they had identified. That was someone they had really targeted. And Verbeek relayed that part of it also. And so it doesn't seem like it was necessarily Verbeek shopping Drysdale. It was just that was who the Flyers really wanted as part of this deal. Yeah. I mean, the whole relationship souring stuff, we just don't know. Yep. And exactly. I'm not going to take a GM's comment on that seriously because I don't expect him to come out and say Fair. otherwise. But I do think that, yeah, this is not a, pro- a, a product of that negotiation going poorly and then they start shopping Drysdale. It's that the Ducks really wanted Cutter Gauthier and Jamie Drysdale was the piece to make the deal work. And it yep. makes sense. So. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. Uh, anything else on this trade? Anything else falling no. out from this trade? I mean, I can't wait to see Cutter Gauthier play with the Ducks. I, I would assume that he'll get some games with the Ducks this season, kind of a late season cameo like we saw with Nikita Nestorenko, who, by the way, is his former teammate at Boston College. And so we'll see where he is next season. I mean, I think the hope will be that he can jump straight to the NHL. Maybe he'll get some AHL games. I just kind of my own bird's eye view with with the little I've watched of Gautier so far is that I think he I don't know how much he can really learn by going to the AHL because at the end of the day he's going in to play with these playmakers those playmakers don't exist in San Diego and so I think right out of camp I want to see him in the Ducks top six next season and and really see what he can do because that's going to be that's where that's the spot he's he's he was brought in to fill and there's no sense in sending him to another team where like he's just going to be playing a completely different role. Yep. So uh, agreed. Um, all right. Want to move on to the games or any of the frustration from this last week? Well, we can we can spend about 10 minutes and I think we have a lot of questions. We, people, we do. People want to so, talk about the trade. Well, I think one of the interesting fallouts from this, right, is one of the things that I think you and I were both really going to focus on on this episode. There are two things in particular that we can talk about right now for the next 10 minutes or so power plays and um i mean it's basically special teams on both ends of it uh power plays and then discipline when it comes to uh taking penalties and and so one of the more frustrating things as of late is the penalty setup or the power play setup and it's an interesting segue from the drysdale trade because i actually just don't think jamie drysdale was a really good fit on that first power play unit and i'm not trying to dance on the grave at all right now you are so back but like pavel minchikov was such a better uh, distributor of the puck, worked so much better with that unit. And Jamie Drysdale's, like, talent... Was it all, was it all a ploy? Did, did Pavel Minchikov uh, make this deal happen? Was he pulling the strings here? Well, no, but was was Jamie Drysdale put on the uh, oh, uh, oh to showcase him? I mean, would oh. that not make a lot of sense right now? I mean, that could make sense, yeah. Like, like isn't it kind of insane that Minchikov just lost his spot out of thin air? Just completely? Like, yeah, like why, like, why couldn't you go three forwards 2D? Like, there's just so anyway. Yeah, I that, think that, that that's an interesting conspiracy theory. I mean, I don't even think it's a conspiracy. I'm sure that it, there, I'm convinced that there was a part of it, a part of him being on the power play top power play unit that had maybe some part of to do with it. I mean, they were trying to get him on the power play before he was hurt. 
And, you know, he's been on the power play in the, in the past, so it's not entirely because of that. But I'm sure it couldn't have hurt the Flyers brass to see, you know, Jamie Drysdale getting top power play minutes. And maybe that, that helped them feel a little bit more comfortable about making the trade. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah, the, the, the power play right now is a, is a crap show. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, but, but, but here's what I want to say about the power play, though. It's okay. a crap, it's a crap show, but not because of the players. Yeah. I think, I think that like yesterday, for example, against Detroit, when power play one is out there and by power play one, I mean, when you have Zegris, McTavish, Terry out there yesterday, it was Jamie Drysdale on that unit, which is crazy. Um, Alex Kalorn out there, they were generating chances. They were getting passes across the, the, the box, across the slot. They were getting one timers. They were getting touch passes into the slot from the goal line. They were, you know, they were dangerous. They maybe weren't as dangerous as you would like on the five on three, but at five on four, they really picked it up. The problem is that Newell Brown, you know, Professor Brown behind the bench and his, his, he's so, he's so much smarter than all of us. He, and he's running this meritocracy. He's got the, he's got power play too, which sure is good at zone entries, which is good at possessing the puck, but is not good at generating dangerous offense, which is the entire point of a power play. By playing them that way, by playing those guys over the Zegers unit more, or I shouldn't say, I shouldn't even say more because the power play two is not playing more than the top unit. They're just playing way more than they should. It's like That's an hurt. even distribution between the two units. Well, I don't think yesterday it was. Part of that could have been because of the five on three. But all this to say that it's just it's harming the team's ability to to win games because yesterday against Detroit they play a good to good enough. Uh, five on five game, but the power play stinks, and so that they can't make the difference there. And it's on it's on coaching. I really don't think that the players are doing the the players aren't the problem here with the power play. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the power play. I mean, so the usage is concerning because and the fact that they basically have it. We talked about it on the last episode, but talked about it as they they're basically describing it as a meritocracy where depending on how Merit you did based. it merit-based depending on how you did on the last shift. And so because the power play one did not score on the five on three, they did not start the next power play. Um, but I also think you, you look at power play two, they mainly treat it like it's almost like it's a third line cycle when they're out there of staying to the outside, looking just for a shot from the outside and getting, getting that type of shot, trying to cause chaos. And my only concern is Cronin actually had a quote after the game where he had mentioned, um, and this is in the interview that Derek posts on the Sporting Tribune YouTube channel. Go watch those videos, please. Derek always does fantastic work. Um, but uh, he had mentioned that, yeah, on the power play, we just need to start firing the puck from everywhere and cause some chaos and get, get a rebound chance. And hearing that from him was actually one of the very first moments that I was really frustrated with Cronin as the head coach it, from a micro kind of coaching analysis type level because – that is not what you want on a power play. The power play, and it's actually interesting. I was listening to what chaos chaos on the weekend, and they had Jim Montgomery on and asked him about what is the the trope around coaches that you find the most frustrating. And he mentioned people saying shoot on the power play because he's like that's the time you don't want to just shoot the puck. You want to be working for a really dangerous look, move the puck around and create a dangerous chance. You want to go for quality over quantity in that situation, which is exactly correct. And it's frustrating to hear that that's what the ducks are trying to do. They're trying to just fire the puck and see what happens, but it's quite clear. That's what power play two is being instructed to do. Right. And even power play one at times, right. It stays to the outside 
when Drysdale's out there, there isn't a whole lot of creativity with the puck, and so I think Minchikov Drysdale bumping into McTavish yesterday. Yeah, like I, I think I think just uh, Drysdale is a great transition player. This is not a slight on him as a player. I think he's a great transition defenseman, good in his own zone, good with his gap. But what he does well does not translate necessarily to a good power play quarterback outside of entering the zone. And he's not creative enough, dynamic enough in the offensive zone with the puck, whereas Minchikov is and can create lanes by moving the puck around. And that's where I think having him out there could be good. But if the directive is just shoot the puck, there's going to be problems, and this power play is not going to be successful. Yeah, I mean, right now, the Ducks are in a cold streak. They're in a slump. And I would say that the Ducks coaching staff is in a slump. I mean, this power this power play situation that we're talking about here is is actively harming their chances to win games. I mean playing power play to as much as they are, like you said, coaching them to play this like shoot first, uh, you know, shoot, shoot through screens, point shots style on power play two just doesn't work. Doesn't yield high danger chances. And then all of a sudden, Brett Leeson is getting scratched. Brett Leeson can't get in the lineup while Ross Johnston is playing like six to seven minutes a game. You know, I've kind of been biting my tongue on this Ross Johnston experiment, but man, it's one thing to scratch like Bo grew for Ross Johnston and all due respect to Bo Guru. Like I think he's, he's had a, a decent season, but Brett Leeson has been one of the ducks best players this season. Like forget forwards or defensemen or goalies. Like he's been one of their best players period. And so to scratch him is one thing, but Ross Johnston, who's barely going to play, who's barely going to do anything is going to be in the lineup and he's not like, that is just, that doesn't make sense. I don't care about left versus right wing splits. It doesn't matter. Put play your best players. Quit screwing around. I don't. I'm upset at this coaching staff because these are just like dumb. These are like objectively dumb decisions. Like there's there's just no rationalizing them. Like I've been hard on coaches in the past for the Ducks, and I feel like in hindsight I look back and be like, ah, eh, maybe I was a little too harsh. But I don't think anyone in this world would say that playing Ross Johnston over. Brett Leeson is a good thing. I don't think anyone in this world would say that playing that unit, you know, with, with Strom and Henrik or whatever is better than playing Zegers, McTavish, Terry. So yeah, I think that coaching right now is not a plus factor for this Ducks team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think there are still macro level things that are going well. I do like things at five on five they're doing, but it's the micro decisions with lineup choices, with, uh, with power play usage, with, and we'll get to this, with how players are being held accountable. I think yes. those micro-level decisions Let's are, get into that. Are, are not going the way the right way for this coaching staff. And I think that I'm still content with the macro-level direction of this team under this coaching staff and how they have improved. But I think Same. there are, there are micro-level things that can definitely be focused on, nitpicked, and criticized. And one of them is... Uh, accountability like well, but but that's not even micro though that's ma- i mean that's a that's a micro situation that feeds into the macro yes yes agreed i think that the overall taking all things considered the macro is still going in the right direction i think there are micro level or the macro is going in the right direction there are micro changes that can happen that will help with that even more and so i i think one of the biggest things is accountability right there's been a, a big focus on accountability with the Ducks coaching staff. It's been preached a lot, and we don't know what goes on in the back of the room. We don't know what's said, but all we know is that Trevor Zegers had a bad game, and had a bad play, had a bad shift, ha- had a bad shift, had a couple of bad plays, and that led to him being benched. And for better or worse, the message was sent, and that is the way Greg Cronin wanted to play it there. And it seemed like Trevor Zegers got the message and was better after that as a result. 
So make of it what you will, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. I don't think right now either of us are debating either side of that. But if you're going to pull that move with Trevor Zegras, you have to pull that move with your other players that are negatively impacting your team in a lot of different manners by taking penalties. Because Frank Vetrano's penalty last night in the third period. Lost them the game. Lost them the game. Like yep. that put the Ducks on the back foot that ended up, granted, they didn't get scored on on the power penalty kill, but they, right were on the, they were on the back foot after that. And so I think if you're going to send that type of message, message to Zegris, yes, Vetrano is your leading scorer. Zegris is one of your most skilled players, and you didn't have him on the ice in three-on-three. Three. Like, if you're going to send those messages, do it equally, because that penalty is absolutely unexcusable from Frank Vetrano at this and point. And Greg Cronin agrees with that. He yeah. even said, like, that you can't take that penalty. Vetrano was lucky that it wasn't four minutes. You're 200 feet from your net. It's a retaliation penalty. For an, for an NHL veteran, you know, quote-unquote veteran, that, that Frank Vetrano is, that is a very unveteran-like play. That those are the kind of plays that you expect your veterans not to make, and he did, and he cost them the game. And, and so, and so, I agree with you. And it's not a one-off either. This is a consistent, uh, a consistent thing for Frank Vetrano, for Mason McTavish, for Radko Gudis. These are guys that are leading the league in minor penalties taken. Like yeah. This is this is not a one-off situation. And M brings up to you uh, in terms of uh, accountability because. I think I'd mentioned earlier that you have to treat different players differently. While yes, I still buy that. And that is how you approach those players. I think from the accountability loses its message, loses its oomph. If you're going to apply it once to one specific player and you're not going to do it when a player is consistently hurting your team in this manner. Well, It's not even about, it's not even about benching Frank Vetrano. It's like, you know, why is he getting all this ice time? Why is he getting all these great assignments? It's like at a certain point, if you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again, there has to be some sort of, of punishment because clearly whatever Greg Cronin is saying to Frank Vetrano behind the scenes, and I and I have no doubt that he is saying a lot of things to Frank Vetrano, and that I'm sure he's not happy with it. But at a certain point, if he keeps making those mistakes, there there has to be some accountability. And so this is less about Trevor Zegers in my mind, but sure. but, but benching Trevor Zegers did set a standard that, that if a player does not meet his own personal standard that there will be consequences. And right now, whatever the hell the standard is for Frank Vetrano, it certainly can't be met right now. It can't I mean, be this. I mean, there was the, the, what was it? I think it was the Maple Leafs game where he's standing at the bench and waiting for the door to get open and the puck hits him in the skate and it's too many men on the ice. Like, yeah. you got to jump the board there. Like, it, it's those types of brain-dead type of plays that are going to cost you in, the, in this league. And, yeah. I mean, I also want to say this. There was a whole lot of criticism of officiating yesterday but if you go back and look at every single penalty they were all they were all penalties on the ducks like they're all penalties on the ducks they're all the right call in those situations and the ducks need to stop putting themselves in those spots the like gudis has to be smarter smarter there and at a certain point you have to call this out and say it's selfish like that is i think one of the biggest criticisms you could make of a hockey player is making selfish plays but taking penalties is selfish it's and especially things like that it, it, it is uh, putting yourself above your team in that situation. These are not like I, you can live with the penalties, right? If it is something, um, if it's something where you're making a defensive play and you're saving a goal with that penalty, yeah. right? That's something you can live with. None of the penalties last night wore that. Mm-hmm. It, it was jumping in a lane and a lazy play by Silverberg that uh, was an interference play. It was McTavish cross-checking guy in the back. It was, uh, Gudis slew footing slash interfering with, uh, 
with uh, Lucas Raymond, it was Frank Vetrano hitting a guy in the face. And, and so, and for anyone kind of bringing up, well, it's about the Ducks needing calls also. The Ducks got a five on three last night on a questionable uh, delay of game penalty. No, they, it was it was a delay of game. Okay. Yeah. I think it was questionable, but it could go either way. I mean, but I don't think they're. I don't think that they're like. I don't think yesterday they got hosed by the. No, refs or it was yeah. it was four penalties to five. I think. Yeah. Or something along those lines. Like it was fairly even in terms of the penalties that ended up happening for the team. And so, I, I think the main thing is is that the Ducks need to clean this up because if they are consistently, um, if they are consistently being on the short end of the stick, at a certain point you have to look inward and realize yep. something wrong is going on here. Yep. And I mean, that's on the coach. Like at the end of the day, this, everything we're saying, like the, the coach is the one who, who really is kind of in charge of that message. And yep. so I, I think at a certain point there has to be some sort of accountability because yeah, there are certain guys right now who are just harming this team, like Ryder Kogudos to the penalties. And I know that's kind of part of his quote unquote brand, but it's hurting the team. Frank Vetrano, it's hurting the team. And, you know, we haven't really talked about it much. We don't have to go too far into it. But, like, Mason McTavish hasn't played particularly well as of late. He's also one of the biggest culprits when it comes to penalties. And, yes, he's he's producing, and that helps a lot. But, I mean, if you look at, you know, league-wide, like, guys who have played a minimum of 75 five-on-five minutes, like, both, all three of McTavish, Gudis, and Vetrano are in the top 13. Vetrano's 13th, McTavish is 10th, Gudis is 8th. Like, they are taking a shit ton of penalties. It's a problem. They're losing games because of it. Um, and so, anyway, rant over. The team's not playing well right now. But I, but I guess the thing I want to push back on is that is this notion that the the Ducks right now are kind of who they were always going to be. That they're they were going to be a rebuilding team that was just going to lose a lot of games. And I really do feel like right now there's games where they play well enough to win and they just shoot themselves in the foot. Whether it's the guys in the ice. Or whether it's the suits on the bench, like there's just mistakes that that are holding this team back. That are kind of they're they're not allowing themselves a chance to win. They're kind of I, hamstringing themselves. I will go on the flip side of that also for a message of posit- positivity before we get to like, questions. Like I just think that this team is good enough to be winning games right now, and, yep. and they're just they're shooting themselves in the foot. And here's the positivity in that. A lot of those mistakes, those are easily fixable. The much more difficult thing is to get the system right and play a good five-on-five game. The things that they are shooting themselves in the foot on, the coaching mistakes, those types of things, those are easily fixable for this team. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the good news for Ducks fans and watching these games moving forward. Yep. Yep. So, all right, let's get to some questions. Uh, so we're going to start, as always, with our uh, Patreon Discord. Go to patreon.com slash crash the pond if you subscribe at the two dollar tier any of the tiers above that you get access to the patreon discord uh and it's fantastic cannot compliment or commend it or uh, recommend it enough to anyone uh so we're gonna go through it there are gonna be some at the start of this that are not related to the trade so we'll start there uh d rock said who is the biggest cult hero in ducks franchise history it's gotta be Derek grant i i mean Is this a cult hero? Because you like what? Would a third liner be a cult hero? Cult hero just means you have a cult and you are a hero for that cult. And Elite One C was exactly that. George George Paris. Sure, I mean that that's not even a third liner. So I don't know. No, I mean I was gonna go Sammy Paulson. Okay. I was gonna go Sammy Paulson or you just don't want to say Derek Grant, and that's okay. No, I do not want to say Derek Grant. Okay. Uh, uh, I would go Jared Bowl over Derek Grant. (laughs) But he was um, not a cult hero. 
Oh, he was a cult hero. Not as L- much as not as much as Derek Grant. Like this is just you hating Derek Grant. Like he's gone. He can't play anymore. You you're allowed to say nice things. It's okay. <laughs> Jack Jane said, "Build your best all-time Ducks power play." I'm going to go out on a massive uh limb here. Okay. And I may get shot for this. But I think that Leo Carlson, Trevor Zegers, Mason McTavish, uh, and um, who am I missing in that? Troy Terry. Like, that would be the most skilled player Tam- you've ever seen. Tam- and Tamo Tamo Mitchikov. Those, those are the most skilled players because today's players are more skilled than they've ever been. Ta- put Tamu on that. Put Getzloff there. I'm sticking put with Niedermeyer there. Oh, Pavel Minchikov over Scott Niedermeyer. Wow. Scott, Scott Niedermeyer over Pavel Minchikov on the power play? Yes. No. Have yes. you watched like have you watched Balvinchikov play? Yes. Scott Niedermeyer can't do half of what he does off. What about Paul Korea? I would as your as your as the point on the power play, give me Paul no, Minchikov. Not, I'm not saying Paul Korea is the point on the power play. I'm just saying Paul Korea. Like you, Why are you goalpost shifting? I, I was talking about the point. Oh, you said I'm just, Scott Niedermeyer. I'm saying Paul Minchikov over okay. him. Now you're talking about Paul Korea. Okay. I so you said yours. I sure, will go let, let, let's go Paul Korea over McTavish. Okay. Yeah. I will go Tamuslani. Trevor Zegris, Scott Niedermeyer, Paul Korea, Niedermeyer does Ryan Getzloff. Lubomir Vesnovsky is a better pick than Niedermeyer for the for the all time power play. Like, are you trying to score goals or are you just trying to make people happy? I'm going Scott Niedermeyer. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> people are saying all. This hell is such an L news. take. <laughs> um, uh, Captain Troy Drumbanger said, "Will Zellweger's number ever be uh w- or number be over or under ten next year? Like the number he wears." He will wear 51. He will wear 51 for a full season. There's only one Leo Carlson. No, but I think the point is he gets called up this year, wears 51 for this year, and then gets a new number next year. Yeah, it's he's... I don't know how many games he's going to play for the Ducks this year. Okay. Uh, Johnny said... uh, uh, Oh, never mind. That was just a response to our uh, reply. Uh, Ducks Rackernet said, Do the Ducks now pivot draft strategy and potentially trade down in the upcoming draft and take a top goalie prospect? No, no, no. I mean, keep building, keep keep I, building your, well, your skater group and third round pick, fourth round pick. You can take another goalie in the, in the draft. It feels like that's kind of what the ducks have wanted to do is each draft. Uh, take, yeah. uh, take one of those players. Um, let's see. Brad said, any concerns that Godier stays in college and becomes a free agent? No, no, you I, don't make this trade. If you think that's a possibility. Yep, exactly. Uh, Captain Troy Drumbringer said, why does this trade make me feel things? Because Pat Verbeek is identifying a weakness and addressing it. Yep. Uh, Cutter, AKA Vitrano clone says, does the trade have anything to do with Zellweger being ready? Or is it more that Minchikov stepped up this season and filled the gap that was left by Jamie? Also, do you think they discussed hometown boy and flyers prospect cam York? I think that's more about Tristan Luneau. Yep. Agreed. Uh, also, uh, I'll go another step further. Give me Olin Zellweger on the power play over Scott Niedermeyer. I'm just, I'm just gonna keep going with this. Okay. Okay. Next question. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you were gonna have more to answer the no. question. Uh, yeah, it's Tristan Leno, and I mean, I mean, I would assume no with Cam York. I mean, the Ducks. As yeah, much why as would, it, why would they do that? Yeah. As much as it would be a good story for Cam York to come back, the the Ducks have so many defensive prospects. Yeah. Um. Brad said the trade absolutely makes sense from a trade from trading a surplus to plug a hole. Any chance this is part of payback for Jamie Drysdale being slow to sign? No, I don't think so. No, I, I disagree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Matt said during Gauthier's, uh draft year, he was mostly a shooter. Do you know if he's added other skills to his repertoire? 
I mean, from from reading uh, Mitch Brown's playmaking. Yeah, he's playmaking because if you watch Gautier in his draft year, he's kind of kind of one dimensional. But now he's making plays for his line mates. Yep. Yep. That that seems like the scouting report is saying. Miss Brown's beloved said, uh, so it looks like GM uh, Paverbeek has been trying to get this deal done for a while now since the draft, even according to some reporters. Uh, I don't know if the reporters yes. have said that. Did, yes, did they, they say that? Oh, I thought yes. they said that they wanted to trade the fifth round pick for him or something like that to make it fifth happen. Round, fifth round pick. They wanted to get the pick from Montreal to get Ryan Bacher. To get Ryan Bacher no, the, and the Ducks Goff. were trying, were, were, have been wanting to do this for a long time. Okay. No, the Flyers were trying to do that was my point, that that was what I saw. Oh, but, okay. why are we um, talking about the Flyers? The because questions that, about Paverbeek. No, I never mind. Uh, okay. I, and so he said, do you think the reason Luno started in the NHL and was given chances to play their plus world junior championships was to showcase him in order to maybe get him to be the right-hand D that we traded to Philadelphia for Cutter, but because either Luno didn't shine enough or because of illness injury, Paverbeek had to part with Jamie Drysdale. That is an interesting question. I don't think that they would do that, though. Like, that's just such a length to... Like you don't want to harm a player's development yeah. just just to get a, a trade going. So maybe that was part of it, but at the end of the day, I think that the the Flyers if the Flyers wanted Tristan Luno, would they have had him? Maybe. Like we don't know. Like it seems like yeah. the Ducks really, really wanted Cutter Gauthier. I, it could I think have, Jay- it, it could have been Luno for Gauthier straight up, maybe. Yeah. I, I think Tristan Luno has less value from a trade perspective than they, a Jamie they wanted Drysdale. someone closer, I think. Yeah, and I think especially with how the Flyers season has panned out, it makes sense that they would want someone for the now, right? Yeah. Young player that jumps right into their lineup and helps them right away. Yep. Um, so SP84 said, do you acknowledge uh, or do you have any knowledge of what the price Anaheim wanted to pay to get Cutter in the 2022 draft? Nope. I don't know. I do not know. But there was, the rumor was the Ducks wanted to trade up in that draft or trade to uh, get Cutter basically in that mm-hmm. draft. Um, all right, Patrick said, and this is a question for you, uh, Felix, you've watched a decent amount of goals hockey this year. Drew Hellison is a player who is more in the mold of a calculating and cerebral defender who is effective when eliminating passing lanes and whatnot. Do you think he can fit this fit in the up-tempo style and system the Ducks are running? I don't know. I mean, he's a smart enough player to, I feel like, where he can make it work, but he's definitely not the fleetest of foot. So I do want to see it, though, at some point. Like, can we at least give him a chance here? Also, you didn't you didn't say what my screen name was in this question. Jamie Drysdale Rememberer. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, because I wanted to make it easier for the listener to understand <laughs> that he was asking the question to you. Uh, Olaf is Berserker said, no question from him tonight. Just wants to say uplift Jamie Drysdale. Yeah. Uh, Matt said, him. when can we expect a Cutter Gautier shift breakdown video? Hashtag sub to CTP. Next time. Next time that Boston College plays, I will I will try to get in there. And, and there watch, it is. Subscribe to the Patreon. Six into the rafters is saying, are we hopeful uh, Cutter Gautier will not be the next Pierre-Luc Dubois personality-wise, hoping not to be a locker room cancer? I mean, we don't know anything about him. Yeah, and I'm not going to judge. I mean, this is what I was getting at. I'm not going to judge a 19-year-old player who wants to have some say in where he's going to spend his entire mid to early to mid-20s. And yeah. if it does not want to be in the city of Philadelphia and instead it's in Orange County, California, yeah. like I'm not going to judge a player for doing that. Yep. Um, Dusty Birkenstock says, do the Ducks ha- now ha- or have room now to retain some of Gibson's salary for the next three years since they replaced Drysdale's contract with an ELC to facilitate a trade? Wait, what was the question? 
basically because the Ducks have now traded away Jamie Drysdale, do they now have the space to retain on a Gibson deal? Because I they're think replacing they, they Drysdale be- with an ELC. They did before. This just would help that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. We've got some questions from Twitter that I have in uh, DMs. Let's see if there are any that are relevant anymore. Uh, so Trevor Zebra said, Hey Jake, I know we talked about earlier, but I have uh, different questions. Uh, even with the ducks, uh, the trade, the ducks still have a good defensive prospect pool, but there's not many right shot defensemen. Do you think Zellweger may move to the right side? He, he has played right D in both world juniors. Uh, so that's question one. Do you think dry or Zellweger no. may move to the no, right side? No, he's not. He's not playing on the right right now. It's okay. not going to happen. No. Okay. And he said, based off the Duckstream interview with Verbeek, a main takeaway is that Verbeek thinks he will likely be on the wing. This is about Gauthier, uh, and that he is a scorer. Do you think the chances of the Ducks trading for a guy like Line a are likely less now? Yes. I, I think those were probably always zero. <laughs> but but I think if there was any like yeah. anything to it, it's now it is now zero. A trade of this magnitude now feels off the table. I think that this is kind of I mean, there could be one more D for for offense a trade because they still have a lot of defensemen, but yeah, you just spent oh. a bit. You 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 just flipped a big chip for sure. I I missed a question from Plant Ranch. My bad. It got Dang. messed up with your you telling Captain Troy uh, Troy Drumbanger Hospital now. But he said, "Who do you think is now on the trade table that you didn't previously didn't think was, if anyone?" I mean, I I said it earlier, but I feel like Trevor Zegers. That, I don't think so. I mean, it just shows that if the right deal is there, Pat Verbeek will do it. There's just, there's no loyalty amongst thieves, no honor amongst thieves. Yeah. And then we got this question. We got a couple questions from like Brad Silverman asking about thoughts on Gauthier, but we, we kind of re- uh, replied to that already. Uh, so we got this from hockey South saying happy new year. The boarding plays slash hits from behind need to be addressed. The hockey community gets excited about skate blade cuts correctly. So, uh, but are we waiting on a paralysis event for this to be addressed? A what? Uh, boarding plays slash hits from behind. They need to be addressed. Yeah, they do. Uh, I just want to. I, I want to read a Trevor Zegers quote on on Jamie Drysdale. Can that, I go on a soapbox real quick, or do you want to read the this, quote first? This is more important than that. Okay, um, fine. With all due respect. Okay. Uh, but a couple of quotes from Zegers and Drysdale on one another from when Derek Lee spoke to them uh, while putting together a Zegers article. Shout out so to this Derek. is this, this is recent. Trevor Zegers on Jamie Drysdale. We pretty much do everything together. We pee together. We get injured together. We sleep together. It Wait, was good did he to really say that this is Derek Lee putting this out there. It was good to push each other getting on the ice with the injuries that we had were tough to know that somebody was going through similar stuff that you def- were definitely made it a little bit easier getting your conditioning and that stuff back kind of sucks. So it's nice to look over and see somebody grinding on the bike next to you. So that definitely helps. And then Jamie Drysdale's quote on Trevor's egress is a lot shorter. Lived together for a couple of years. He's great. He's awesome. As you can tell right now, he doesn't shut up. Nice to have him around. He's been playing some good hockey as well, so hopefully he can keep it going. Man, we just, we lost something today. We lost a bromance. A bromance has been hit. We lost an elite bromance, and I feel sad. I feel sadness. Yep, completely fair to feel that sadness. Uh, I won't go on my soapbox now. Just the board on Minshikov was bad. Anyone saying that it wasn't a board and shouldn't have been a Elliot major Freeman. is... Just say the names. Don't be it, cowardly. It, it, Elliot Freeman's just going off on a really bad limb there. It's I don't think board. Elliot Freeman knows the rules. Like, it's it's no, simple. It's clear from the rule book that it's a board. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the NHL, yeah, I mean, it may just be a guy gets paralyzed from these types of hits, and that's what's needed to really make it more suspendable. Yeah. Um, sadly. 
And he said, does Zegris need a much higher level player to play with? Recently in Ali's pregame interviews, Kalorin and Terry said something on uh, on his unpredictable plays that caught my ear. And he said, love the pod. You guys rock. We pee together. That that did not answer the question about needing a higher level player to play with. But I, I, I think Terry is there. I think Carlson's there. I think there are high level players to play with on this Ducks team. Um, all right. So that is it for questions from Twitter. So, uh, for those of you in our YouTube chat and Twitch chat, please start throwing questions in the, in the chat, put question in front of it just to make my life easier. And we will start getting to them. So if you're listening to this podcast on your favorite podcast services, you can join us at, uh, every Monday or typically every Monday at 8 PM at twitch.tv slash crash pond, where if you have Amazon prime, you get one free Twitch prime gaming sub each and every month and it helps out more than you can imagine and you can just be like fat Geralt who resubbed for 30 months shoegaze dragon georgie who resubbed for 58 his 58th month brian or briggs wellman who subbed for the first time and the puff who uh resubscribed for his second month so you can be just like them and help us out in a way that is completely free to you if you have amazon prime if you do not that is all good there are plenty of other ways to support us and you can find us at youtube youtube.com slash crash the pond and if you have a youtube account and yes i know everybody listening to this show has a youtube account go to our channel like the videos subscribe to the channel it helps out so much more than you can imagine so we've got these questions daniel me said can we have a convo about fowler he has his numbers are awful this season I don't think he's looked as bad to the eye test, but he has awful numbers this season. He's blocking young players from getting into the lineup. I mean, he's playing way too much. He's playing an ungodly amount of minutes, and it's clearly a diminishing return based on the numbers. And also, he had a good game last game. I will say that. I thought that he was making stuff happen out there. But he's, he's kind of in one right now. Yep, I, I think he's been fine, but I think, yeah, the numbers do not look fantastic for him. Um, you keep saying that. Is like, Are you trying to trigger me? <laughs> a little bit. Like, fine, uh, like on, anyway, I'm done. Yeah, um, but, yeah, I mean, he's just how, playing. How, he's, how can, wait, how can wait, you wait, say wait, he's wait, been wait. fine? He's he's playing too much. I think if he were to be, be brought down into an actual second-pairing role, he would be thriving in that role, and that's, I think, the biggest issue here is more as a, of a usage thing than anything else. Um all right, Odog asked the question, is Gautier the uh, Rossi we missed at the draft? No, no. no. Marco Rossi is better than Cutter Gautier. Yeah, I would agree with that. But 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 I think that maybe the thrust of the question is, is he kind of what they should have done in terms of which need to address? And I think that the answer to that is clearly yes. Yeah. Retflow asked question, what forwards are not on the team next year? Uh, and he said UFA slash RFA, or uh, he or she said that. Um, I mean, I would have... My opinion, I mean, Henrique Silverberg, neither of those guys are on the team as UFAs. Yep. I think Vetrano is traded this year. I think you cash in on the the season that he's having and the fact that you could get a pretty penny in return for him. I don't think Ilya Labushkin's on this team next year. Um, I think Max Jones might get traded. I mean, Isaac Lundestrom, Erhovac, and Einan. I mean, Bo Grew could be gone. Brett Leeson could be gone. Like, there's like, a lot of guys who we just don't know. potentially a lot of turnover for next yep. season. Um all right. Uh, Jackson, D- I mean, J- Jackson Lacombe could be traded. He might be the yeah. next D to be traded. DB D- Lowry's just trying to get us in a fight here. Who's less des- or no, I don't think this will get us in a fight, actually. Who's less deserving of having their number retired in Anaheim? Jagger or Niedermeyer? Fight it out, boys. 
I mean, Jaguar clearly deserves it more. Jaguar deserves it more than Unimar. I completely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I have, I have no issues with that outside of, like, regardless of my opinion on whether it should go up or not. Yeah. Um, I'm the Elizabeth, drum banger. Elizabeth Leo said, how do you see the D pairings in the future in, like, five years or so? Who would you let run the power plays at the point? Oh, I mean, I'd be so curious to go 2D with both Selweger and Minchikov, but I don't think they would do that. I think they would split them up. But, I mean, it, it could be, you know, a three... You know, three lefties of Lacombe, Minchikov, and Zellweger. Luno on the right side. Maybe Drew Hellison cracks the lineup. And then uh, maybe Tyson Hines gets shifted over to the right. Like, it could, it could just be all guys that are already in the system. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to say just because I feel like someone is going to get moved. But, yeah. I mean, it, it could be like a, a Zellweger or Minchikov, Luno, Zellweger, Warren, uh, Lacombe, Hellison, or Ian Moore. Like, yeah. Like That's probably Ian the Moore one thing a- we should have talked about more is that this does clear the path a little bit more for Ian Moore to sign with the Ducks. Yes, it 100% does. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see. Gaming Wheeze had two questions saying, with a player that clearly wanted out in Gautier, I feel like you have given up someone, uh, you could have given up someone else before Drysdale. Are we saying Drysdale is the weakest of Minchikov, Luno, Zellweger, or how or why do we pay Drysdale and a pick for Gautier? Um, I think he is the weakest uh in trade value uh or the i think luno is the only person that has less trade value than jamie drysdale uh in that that uh out of that group and i think there's an argument he is the weakest out of those four yeah i think that it's here's the thing jamie drysdale has the most present value in terms of like any for an nhl roster but i think anyone watching these guys except maybe with the exception of luno can see that they have higher upside than than Jamie Drysdale does. Yeah, and I think you had the pick because Carter Gauthier is the better player. Like he's a fifth overall pick from two drafts ago. He's mm-hmm. he's having a great season at Boston College. He had a great season last year. He had a great world jun- world junior. He he was playing at the World Championship, which we know that the World Championship the Ducks were at because that was a huge part of them picking Leo Carlson. So, like, yeah, Carter Gauthier is just the 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 I don't want to say better, but he is he's the more He's the more expensive piece of, nope. of those two. Yep, agreed. And then he also said, should Verbeek be fired by end of season? And his <laughs> his answer to this is yes. Uh, no. 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 Like, the, the the direction, I mean, this is what I said. You can get mad at certain micro, certain transactions that have been made, certain decisions that have been made uh, in a vacuum, looking at each one individually and get mad at it. But when you look at the overall big picture of where this team is trending, what the direction of this team is, there's a clear direction and path where this team is going, and that is something that was not there with the end of Bob Murray's tenure. We constantly would talk about talk about they were a rudderless ship. It was unclear where they were going, were they rebuilding, were they not? What what is going on here? Where are they going? And there is a clear message about where this team is going uh, at this point in time with Paverbeek at the helm, and I think that that is critical and key here. Um, we got this question from Rooch Fan Twenty said, "Are we banging the drum on firing Newell Brown now?" I will never cheer for someone to lose their job, but I just, I'm not sure what more we need to see from Newell Brown that he might just not be the guy to run the power play. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Jake M said, do we worry about locker room chemistry if Dreisel, Henrique, and Gibson all leave this season? I mean, I do think that as a locker room, I, I do think that as a locker room right now for this Ducks team, that is kind of fighting to stay 
you know, that is that is fighting to play meaningful games, that is, that is fighting for its life right now, losing a lot, trying to kind of turn the page in the rebuild, to have a well-liked player like Jamie Drysdale, who you thought would be part of this rebuild, and now you're trading him for someone who, like if you're an Adam Henrique or you're one of these veteran guys, you may never play with. Um, that has to hurt a little bit. That has to hurt your motivation a little bit. It so, just does. I would actually go on the flip side there in, in the sense of this is where I'm going with it. I think it hurts the younger players because this is the first guy of their group to get moved out, right? This is the first but, guy but that... But even if you're an older player, you see that well, Jamie Drysdale is important no, no, no. to this team. Hear me out here. Hear me out here. So, yes, I think it's going to suck for those guys. I think the older guys are the guys that have seen this, that understand this is a business. And I think it's really important to have those types of players, the Alex Kalorns of the world, the Adam Henriques, the Jacob Silverbergs, that have seen their friends, seen this all happen, and can be there to help move this along, at least in the, the near future. And you're going to fill in guys outside of that. And that is hockey. That yeah, is but the see, business. That's, that's where I disagree, though, is that they, okay. may, they may understand that it's a business, but they also want to win games. And you just traded a top four defenseman. Okay, guy, from that someone, fair, fair. For someone who's not going to play. Fair, from that from that perspective, fair. Like, like I would be pissed if I was a veteran player. I'd be like, like I, my gut reaction would be pissed off. You still understand the business, but like... So, you, sorry, you're, I was going from a different approach than you, but fair. The likelihood of you winning games just went down in the short term. Fair. I, where I was going from it was those veteran guys helping out the younger players move on past this and build the locker room off of that, but I think that the, the point you're making is a valid one. Yeah. Um... The Puff said question with regards to the officiating, is it uh, is the lack of calls for us due to the Ducks reputation? There have been some pretty blatant no calls that other teams have gotten away with. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's a reputation thing. I think it is just simply something along the lines of there are missed calls in every single game. There are going to be missed calls um, for the Ducks and against the Ducks. That That's just going to happen. But when you're putting yourself in positions to to have a lot of missed calls, I guess it would be the way to put it, to make up for how many penalties you're taking, you're going to constantly find yourself on the worst end of power plays, like on the worst end of a special team battle. So I don't view this, if it's something that's consistently happening, regardless of the officials, like it, it's a constant trend, there's something wrong with the team and it's not something you can really look at the refs and say, well, it's the officiating, right? Also, shout out Chubbs Peterson. Yes, I was going to say that. Sorry. Shout out Chubbs Peterson, who gave us a $5 super chat saying, great job, Rudy and Jay. Best duo in the league. Wait, I'm Jay now? I think you're Gelix. I don't understand, but it's okay. Yeah. I think that's a, a Discord bit that went over your head. Yeah, Jay is Gelix per per Chubbs. Okay. That is, that is a Discord bit. Uh, let's see. Plantwork said... Question, I feel somewhat fine with this team floundering since it might mean a better draft pick and the timeline still is nascent. Is there a point where you think floundering should be unacceptable, though? I mean, I think right now, I think that the yeah. the level that they're playing at right now is unacceptable to me. They should they should be more competitive than they are, and they're working out the kinks of not shooting themselves in the foot. Um, but I think if you really want to draw a hard line, uh, it's next season. Yeah, they, there has they, to be progress in the results next season. Like, it, it can't just be a process year next year. It has to yeah. be... Um, I, I think that that's the frustrating part for me this year is it's not so much about the results. It's that the process has just gone down the toilet. Yeah, that's this home homestand was bad for that. This yep. this homestand felt like a step back. But I will say this, the last two games of the homestand were a good step in the right direction for that process after some really poor games. Um, they also Anthony, just didn't play Toronto and Edmonton, which helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
they also got Troy Terry back, which also helps. Anthony Oberstar said, question, does this make it more like or less likely Tristan Leno goes back to junior with health, health, when healthy? We didn't mention that part of this, actually, that Tristan Leno, uh, Pavarbeek said that the infection is so bad where there, if he gets healthy, he'll go back to, to junior, but there's a long way to go for him to be able to play this season. Yeah, but it sounds like, like he won't be back in the NHL, which which is correct. interesting because I thought at first that this meant he was coming back. But well, especially because he, he was traded in junior, and it was only for a fifth round pick. Like mm-hmm. usually, junior trades you look at right the Olin Zellweger trade and how much uh, what was it, Everett got from uh, what was it Spokane or Camel? I can't remember which team traded doesn't, for him. The, the junior, but how much they got for him, and that's typically what happens when with junior teams really going for and making these types of trades. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that, and so it might just kind of go to show that the likelihood of him playing the season is pretty low overall, just due to recovering from the the infection that ended up happening. So yep, um, sucks. Yeah, definitely sucks. Uh, Steve Hashijian said, uh, "Question: We drafted Nathan Gauthier over Kulik and Mayadovic over Brindley. Uh, uh, do we need to improve drafting forwards outside of the top 15? So here's what I'll say about that. Cause we actually had a good conversation about this in our discord pub chat the other day, our voice chat. Come on, come I'm, all. I missed it. Come on, come all. But it's that, yes, in recent years, the ducks second first round pick or their early sec, their, their second first round pick or their early second round pick has gone away from this kind of high upside, smaller skill player. You know, you think back to like Olin Zellweger, Jacob Perot, um, and they've kind of gone more towards these safer players like a Mayadovic, like a Nathan Gauthier. And I think that I think that that's just where the organization is looking right now in terms of need. It feels like they kind of maybe either got burned by drafting guys there that haven't panned out or it's just that that's just where they best see fit. And I still think like Nathan Gauthier hasn't really stuck out at all in San Diego this season. Mayadovic is hurt right now and junior but I still think that these guys can be good players. Um, but it does feel like, yes, there's a, there's this kind of move away from the smaller skill types um, in those kind of 30 to 60 range. So, yep. Good friend, Connor uh, at or 91 Pluty said, uh, who does Felix want at fifth overall? And does he know Colt Iserman from Iserman from a hole in the wall? <laughs> so that's a, a nod to the dumb John Tortorella quote. Um, Oh, there it is. Got it. Yeah, saying he doesn't know Cutter Gauthier from a hole in the wall, which I'm not going to get to that. But we've, we've we've spent enough time talking about torts over the years in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Honestly, who does who does Connor want at, at fifth overall? I will defer to to you, to Matt, to Patrick, to everyone in our Ducks prospect talk that is way more on top of the the draft eligibles this year. Like I I have not followed it, especially at fifth overall. I mean, Caden Lindstrom is the name that I keep seeing in that range. Um, I mean, if Cole Iserman is available, I guess he would take him because he has that elite shooting talent. But I'm just not the biggest Cole Iserman believer, so that that maybe is part of my bias. All right. Uh, let's see. Sean Fight said, how many games lost to injury has this team had? A lot. I don't have an answer for that in terms of And it's of especially games. to good players. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Ronald McDonald said, what do you guys think the defensive pairs will look like in two years? Uh Let's we go. Did, fa- we, we did five years. Now we're doing two years. Yeah. Fowler, Luno. Let's go with Zellweger, Gudis. Yeah. Minchikov, Lacombe. Lacombe's on the right side. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, let's see. No, you uh, know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go. Um, 
I'll go Minchikov with Hellison. I think Lacombe gets dealt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nick Tranny said, question, thoughts on the Red Wings wraparound goal? Uh, I mean, I think it was in. What about it? Oh, just like the call? Yeah, I think it was in. I mean, like, you would, I, I think you would assume that they had a camera angle that said that it was in. Yeah, I think there was probably the in the in net uh, camera that they don't give access to the uh, broadcasts that that may have shown that it was in. Uh, Elizabeth Leo said, "Question: Would you guys rather see Hellison or Zellweger be the next one to come up this season? And who looks more ready? I'll defer to you on this one." Well, I think that I would rather see uh, Hellison come up just because I don't know if Zellweger is going to get the proper role. Like, there's just too many bodies. You'd almost have to send down Minchikov, which doesn't look like the best move right now. So I want to see Drew Hellison. I think that they need to find out what they have in Drew Hellison as an NHL player. Yep. I mean, it would be interesting if they called him up uh, along with Jackson Lacombe and maybe threw him in the lineup for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, Gabriel V mentioned, I want to mention this, Quebec reporters have said that there's a lot of terms with the Luno trade, depending on if Tristan comes back or not. Uh, So the fifth round pick is basically a placeholder right now. Ah, so that, that makes more sense. Then. That makes a lot of sense. DB Lowry said a uh, question with Cutter Gauthier, uh now a duck is Anaheim team America. Well, you've got Gautier, you've got Lacombe, you might get Ian Moore. You've got Trevor Zegris. You've got, you've got Troy Terry. Um, you've got Cam Fowler. Well, yeah. Cam <laughs> Fowler's there. Yes. I mean, um, John Gibson is there right now. Yeah. I mean, you have a good, I think you have a really good mix. You have the United Nations on this team. Cause you've got Minchikov, you've got, uh, from Russia, Zellweger is going to be can- is Canadian. M- McTavish, Canadian. Yeah. Uh, Leo they're, Carlson, they're, Sweden. Leo, Leo Carlson, Swedish. Like, yeah. I, I think there are more Americans than anyone else. But uh, yeah. Well, it, they're also they're also kind of piling up Americans that are kind of from that recent wave of young cocky Americans. Man, I gotta I say, it. I love it. Watching Team USA after the gold medal game against Sweden, just taunting the crowd and the, the goals, like. I know that there was something that happened between Sweden and USA, but man, they were so extra. Cutter like, Cutter Gauthier is probably going to piss off Kings fans. Uh, yeah they they were straight up taunting the crowd, and I'm like, Swedish people are so nice. What what, what is going on here? They must have done something bad. I don't know. That was yeah. odd to me. Canada yeah. would never. Classy, classy, <laughs> wow. classy wow. victory. Um, all right, let's. Uh, I think that's it for questions from what I saw. So let's get to uh. We've got some shit show questions, and oh. I for, I forgot to read the ones from last week. So we have a backlog here of shit show questions to end this marathon of a podcast. I mean, this is actually a standard length. Yeah. Second place, Louis said, will the man they call Heyo Deflow ever follow protocol? And by the way, th- these are just ridiculous questions for anyone that doesn't understand what yeah. shit show questions are. Uh, they call Heyo Deflow ever follow protocol and talk about pasta in the correct channel. This is probably Lou's worst bit. Uh, I'm I'm being I'm being called out for saying Swedish people are nice. Okay, let me reiterate the the Swedish people I've encountered are really nice. <laughs> there you go. My experience my experience counts too. Um, what was the question? Uh, will the man they call Heyo Defil ever follow protocol and talk about uh, pasta in the correct channel? It's know. Lou's worst bit. It's Lou's worst bit. Yeah. Uh, Captain Troy Terry drum banger said. Uh, is Lou the Billy Kane to Jake and Felix's Goose Howard? Or Geese I don't know Howard. what I don't know what that I, means. I, I don't know that reference. I have I have zero clue. I don't uh, care. R.I.P. Plant Ranch said, if you had to move out of the U.S., what country would you move to? Oh, Switzerland. Yeah. Well, Switzerland. actually, the real the real answer is Canada, but probably Switzerland if I can. Switzerland. Oh no, Spain. Spain. 
How are you going to communicate with people? Your wife? Yeah, she, yeah, I'll I'll figure it out. Okay. Figure it out. I I factor in the language. I'll I'll figure it out. I'll be okay. Okay. I trust you. Um second place Louis said Pico de Gallo overrated discuss. Awful awful take. You know, I think there's some merit to it. Awful take. Awful take. It's not overrated. It's perfectly rated. Uh Pico de Gallo is fine. Yeah, it's not overrated. Is it great? Some people worship at the altar of, of Pico. Who who worships at the altars of Pico? People do. I don't I, think I, anyone I've does. I've encountered... Why does my lived experience not count? That's what I'm starting that, to realize. Because I don't believe this from you, I guess. Is, so is I'm saying reason. that because I said... So people are calling me inconsistent because I didn't say Sweden, even though I said Swedish people. I said, yeah, I mean, there's like... How many countries are there? Like like hundreds Get his ass, Tyler. Get his ass, Tyler. That isn't that 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 this that isn't a gotcha. That isn't a gotcha. He he got your ass. You know what? I'm gonna change my answer. I'm gonna say Sweden. There you go. Now what? <laughs> DP Lowry, by the way, this goes with it. Thoughts on cheesesteaks after the Gauthier trade. Well, I've always thought Philly cheesesteaks are just complete there are they are overrated. Those are overrated. They're also <laughs> borderline not good. But bread but bread and meat is kind of hard to screw up. But I will say though that Cheese whiz, cheese whiz is just oh like you a do it with provolone substance. you do it with provolone but cheese whiz is like a key element no no like, you like can that, do it with that, pro, you can do provolone or cheese whiz okay well, well cheese whiz is like lowbrow behavior so okay no. uh olaf is berserker said red wine or white wine and if you have an opinion which specific variety are you going for i used to be solely a red wine person uh-huh. of late i've really transitioned and i'm enjoying a nice white wine it's nice and refreshing Wow. Um, I mean, I will say that just whatever you prefer is fine. It's all preference-based. Yeah. I prefer... Well, he's asking pre- what you prefer. I prefer red wine. No, but some people like are very snobby about wine. Oh. And will say, oh, you know, how could you prefer white wine to red wine? Like, you must not know what you're talking about or whatever. Um, that is my lived experience. Um, and that counts. But I prefer red wine. I like Italian wines or French wines. I do not like California wines. There you go. I, Broad I, brush. We're painting with a, a Mario I, I brush. All right. R.I.P. Plantrid said, better question. Rank the following. Pico de Gallo, Salsa Verde, Red Tomatillo. Uh, oh, so. Ver, Verde, Pico de Gallo, Red Tomatillo. Salsa Verde is number one. Red yes. Tomatillo, number two. And Pico de Gallo, number, a distant three. Pico de Gallo is second there. Pico de Gallo is just like, blah. It's just vanilla. Appa doesn't, said. Doesn't move one, the needle. One has to go butter or cheese. I feel like we oh. actually answered these. I don't know why these sound familiar, but uh, no, it's because go. we we talked about. So after our last oh, pod ended, right. we just sat because you, you mentioned you forgot, and so we just sat there discussing them amongst ourselves. <laughs> that's right. Now I remember that. That's why it sounds familiar. Uh, butter goes easy. That's a hard one because no, it's not. If if you lose butter, how are you going to bake? How are you going to eat baked goods? You figure out a. There's vegan. There's vegan. Cookies. Vegan. Vegan baked goods are not as good. Vegan cookies I'm sorry. are fine. Vegan if I, lo- if I lose vegan listenership over this, that's fine. But no one in their our, right mind, no one in their sane, our vegan demographic mind, is is gonna get hit by this. I no, I appreciate all of you vegan people out there. No I'm one here in, for you. No one in the no no one in their unaltered mind would say that vegan baked goods are better than real baked goods. They just wouldn't. Um, where was I going with that? I I'm gonna say butter though. <laughs> cheese cheese is just too deep it's, it's it's too deep of a field you know you you're losing a lot with with cheese 
You're about to get triggered right now. Olaf is berserker said, why does Jank think all blues are navy blue? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so in our when we were watching the World Junior last week, I pointed out to Jake in our pub chat that, yeah, the Sweden, Sweden was wearing navy blue. And you were like, well, yeah, they've always worn blue. And I was like, no, it's navy blue. And you were like, well, no, they've always worn blue. And you're like, well... I you I thought I, you just meant any blue. I'm like, no, navy is like completely I distinct. Inst- I instantly joined the conversation, and in my head, I heard that as I thought you were confused that they were wearing blue instead of white as their non-yellow jersey. And turns out, I completely missed you saying navy or ignored it is the better way to put it. Uh, and oh, we have out, a, we got a real question by the way. Yeah, we should probably get to those. We have two of them. Tom Smith said, "Is Cutter Gauthier's floor Ryan Kessler 2.0?" Uh, I think no, he's different. Very, very different, different players. Very, very, very different. And Zachary Moss said, what right shot demon do we have in the prospect pool? Most or left shot? Um, I mean, Hellison, Ian Moore, Tristan Leno, Noah uh, Warren. Noah Warren. Like those are the headliners. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are probably it. Is Rodwin Dionicio right-hand shot or left-hand shot? I want to say he's a lefty. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's a lefty. Yeah. Um, uh, BPH is saying the question is to be answered by Jake first, then Felix. What about Newell Brown makes his face? <laughs> Do you want to answer this one? Do you want this one on the podcast? No, th- this one remains uh, <laughs> behind closed doors, unfortunately. Okay. All right, join the Discord if you want to see this question. Lou <laughs> <laughs> uh, is asking, why is uh, our good friend D-Flow shaming folks for being cold? They have like their own beef that they're taking <laughs> they, out into these I, questions. I think Lou is just... Uh, dishing out all of his like dirty laundry with uh with Mike here. Uh, Captain Troy Terry Drumbanger saying, "Does Lou live off of nothing but MREs, military ration packs? Is this why his food palate is so awkward?" I mean, awkward is a very diplomatic <laughs> way of putting it. Um, Lou is now saying that guacamole is borderline not good on tacos. That's just a horrendous take. That is actually like a, a shit take. I'm not gonna mention anything about it because I just personally don't like guacamole, so I don't have an. Yeah, but you on that. you wouldn't go to those, even you. No, I just won't. I won't go there because I know a lot of people like it. I'm of the opinion that I'm not gonna talk about it because I don't like it personally, so I can't have an opinion on it. Okay. Okay. Just 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 keep waffling uh, around. GB said, "Would you rather fight a hundred jackopaca sized blue whales or one blue whale sized jackopaca?" I actually thought about this this morning. <laughs> I, I saw this in the main questions, and so I threw it in shit show. I think it it's a blue whale, a, a blue whale sized jackopaca for sure. You can just take out its legs. Yeah. And you're yeah. done. You can tie up the legs oh. like the like in Star Wars. I mean, the... I think I think realistically we would lose to either option. No, I like our chances. I, I don't. We just need A-wing fighters to to get the, the yes. rope around its legs so it yes. falls over. Yes, I'll, I'll go find one of those pronto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Do whales what? have legs? <laughs> no, it's whale-sized it's a person. Whale, it's Does a whale, not whale. understand? <laughs> it's a whale-sized jackopaca. D.B. Lowry's saying, how, how about them Rams? I mean, congrats. You won the, the game that didn't matter. But I will say... Uh, good for the Rams to make the playoffs. I think Sean McVay should win coach of the uh, year. Uh, Freese actually asked a question. Has there been anything from Pat Verbeek that says he at least spoke to Co- Gauthier and yes. he would sign with the Ducks? I don't think he said that he's specifically spoken to him. He did. But he, he, oh, he, he did. did? Okay. He okay. did. He's, he said that he's talked to him on the phone and that Cutter oh. Gauthier sounded very happy. Uh, Tom Smith with a great point. He can easily fight 100 human-sized blue whales on land. That's true. Well, well yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that would have been the way to go. I'll fight them on land. I much like. I would much rather go with that than fight one blue whale sized jackpaka. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
that's a much better choice. Uh, that's okay. going to do it for our questions. Wow. Dang. Time flies when you're having well, fun. What a marathon episode. This is one of my favorite episodes we've done in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Just what? Just, just calling out the others. Is it? Uh, it is. I don't it, think it is. It, it is that. Um, yeah. He oh, said can we so- can we say Dostal's name? Oh man. Oh, I just want to pull, I just want to say the quote. He said Verbeek uh said I have talked to him. Yes, he was okay. super excited. He was really excited when I talked to him, so that made me very happy. Okay. They are in Comunicado. Yep. Um Yeah, the Toronto Sun is just a crap publication and they 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 had a dumb headline which we won't repeat. You can go look it up if you want. But Lucas Dostal has played very well as of late. We didn't really yep. focus too much on the team itself because of the news. But he's been playing very well, and yeah, he deserves credit, and I think a lot of people have egg on their face Yep. because of that. Yep. So, anyway, on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We had a good uh, a good chat tonight. I really appreciate that. This was a fun podcast. We need more trades. That's the, I think that's the conclusion here. Can we talk about the fact that, really quickly, Verbeek has, keeps like making these types of moves on podcast days. It's fantastic. Yeah, I... I got to say that this could not have been better timing. Yeah. Like if it had been tomorrow, for example, it's like, oh, do we wait a week? Do we, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. So perfect yeah, timing. Th- thank you. Hockey gods. Thank you. Paverbeek. Uh, this was a, a nice treat, a nice, uh, a nice gift to us. But on that note, if you enjoyed the podcast and you want to help support us and keep this thing going, there will be many more trades. There'll be many more things for us to talk about as the season progresses. Go check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash crash the pond for just two bucks a month. You get access to our patrons only discord server. This is a great place to connect with other diehard ducks fans. You can also talk about any, which sport there's a, there's a thriving, uh, channel for each sport. You know, every there, we have nice little kind of sub servers in there. Um, that's for only $2 a month. And then also you can upgrade that to seven fifty per month. You get two bonus podcasts with that, and you also get bonus player breakdown videos, uh, just general kind of film video breakdown videos of the Ducks. Um, that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe there. Turn on your notifications. We've got player breakdowns. We've also got some good um, shorts going up there. So if you get little bite-sized pieces of the podcast on that channel, so sometimes if you got busy, you can see the highlights come up there. Um, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us feedback and a rating on Spotify. Subscribe to us on both of those. Uh, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on TikTok. Pains me to say it, but we are on TikTok. Jake and I are both on Twitter as well. Check out our website, crashthepond.com. You can see it in the video. We've got the shirts on sale there. Is Vibes HC back? Vibes HC, get the shirts. Does this count? Is the, this are does. the vibes this, back? This does. This for sure does. The vibes are back, so go get your vibes t-shirt. Um, and with all that being said, thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.